Hey guys, welcome to another virtual episode of Hope It Helps. My guest today started his career by following his passion and working in the video games industry for a number of years. After a while, he realized that he wanted to do more and have a larger impact on people's lives both in a professional and personal sense, which led him to become an agile coach and scrum master. One of his key roles today is enhancing collaboration and communication across multiple areas of the organization by helping to transform working cultures to become more centered around the human experience and encouraging people to seek out deeper connections in order to form stronger bonds. During this episode, we discuss his experience of being a coach and mentor in a professional environment. We talk about the importance of curiosity and asking questions of ourselves for us to grow and develop as people, and the value of creating meaningful relationships and stronger bonds to gain a deeper understanding of each other and to appreciate the beauty and diversity of life. He has helped change and impact myself and the lives of many others to have a more optimistic outlook on the world and to remind us to be kinder to ourselves and learn to befriend our emotions. His ability and desire to seek out and create deep, meaningful relationships is something I have always admired. And trust me, if you ever get the chance to sit down with him, buckle up because you're in for a roller coaster of a conversation. Please welcome to the show my good friend, Mr. Juan Castillo. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the invitation and providing the space for this. Not a problem. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, so Juan, me and you, just for the listeners, me and you used to work together back in Amsterdam. And from mm. the, our first interaction, I remember you came, you took me aside. I just joined the company. You're like, hey, man, let's go grab a coffee. Let's go, you know, get to know each other. And from that conversation, you know, I'm like, oh, I just love talking to this guy. He has such a unique way of looking at life and, at, you know, at relationships and at human and the human connection. Uh, so I wanted to start with, I know right now you're currently working at a company called KPN. So mm-hmm. it's a Dutch telecom company for people mm-hmm. who don't know. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we spoke about briefly before was that you're a agile coach and a scrum master. And you also are the, you're an ambassador for about 150 people, mm-hmm. which is like, and they split into multiple tribes. So why don't you just give us a little bit of background about what agile is and how, what this ambassador thing has to do with and, you know, walk us a bit right. through that. All right. All right. That, that's going into the deep end in what I do. Uh, okay. That's an interesting way to start. Um, I would say my role is to make sure that the development of this, I call it philosophy of work, is actually a mindset of agile, actually becomes a, a practice. So that is a very long journey to go through. So uh, I ma- the organization is going through a transformation and a structure that they are experimenting with is, uh, well, they have the tribe, but they wanted people that were most passionate about this change and that they promote it more within subgroups. So I'm within one tribe and they created this role as Agile ambassadors. So the Agile ambassadors, let's say they're uh, like trying to inspire more how this can come to life and making sure that people can, ad- can adapt it to their own domain because is not that there's one specific rule that everybody needs to follow. There's just some principles that we should keep in the back of our head that that's how we we can be more effective or efficient or, or more healthy in how the, these teams interact with each other. And they needed something that was scaling at a higher level than just teams, because many times what's happening is that they focus at the team level, but as well, they need to create a higher level of conscious 
consciousness of these team members and the team itself understanding how they fit in the wider picture. And that's a very complex thing to do, uh, to get everybody on board with that type of mentality and how the strengths and weaknesses uh, compensate each other. So that's kind of, I hope I explained it well enough, the role and how they do no, it. No, sure. That kind of makes sense. So bringing together, creating, I guess, a cultural change within the organization and trying to feed the needs of each individual team and the maybe the mindset or culture of those individual teams as well to, you know, have an overall, um, I guess, mm. new perspective on how to work together. Yeah. Now, the way that they defined it is sometimes is subtle changes, but the words that I use to define what those principles are at a core, deep human level is trust, curiosity, and growth mindset. Kind of those are the buzzwords that they use nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. To promote that. Mm. Uh, I so I listened to the other podcast that you did a few years back, and there were a lot of interesting points that I wanted to you know further get into because um, so starting with you mentioned just now curiosity. So mm. you mentioned in the past that your curiosity was sparked from a young age by your father, mm. and that that's the reason that you uh, you always try to find the reason for why things happen. So I thought of a question because this is something I think about all the time. In your opinion, Juan, is there always a reason or can you always find a reason for why things happen? Or is it sometimes there's no reason for why things happen? Because I believe if you look deep enough, you can always find some kind of answer. Uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, in, let's start from the basics of how humans are. Humans like to hear stories. I mean, they get I mean, that's why we like movies, comics or the books. I mean, we like to hear a good story. So I think reason comes from the aspect of maybe you wanting to create a story that makes sense for you to continue building this uh, idea yeah now as long as the stories are able to adapt as you grow it's fine so maybe there's no real truth it's just the perspective that you take to evaluate that view or that reason that you give but it's still valid for you as an individual so why uh, deny it or, or or make it something bad so i would say um what is more important whenever you do something is that you make sure that you have a good purpose for it that the purpose that you found for making those choices or uh, or going into that path uh, you have reflected and I, I, I something that came up a, a lot in the pot in the episode three i, I heard that you did where uh, with this teacher as uh, an educator of people with kids with special needs and uh, she was mentioning there how it's important to uh, how to create the space for creativity yeah so um I think the reason is not so important. I think more the purpose with how you move forward is what makes actually defines you. That's how I, what I've discovered later in time. Would you say it's more the purpose or the intent or are, and are those two different things? Mm. <laughs> Man. Okay. So purpose and intent, um, I'm going to define them based on how I'm listening to them now, because I never really thought of purpose and intent and kind of comparing them into how they manifest. But 
in my my personal experience i would say purpose is the context that you give it and the intent is actually how you execute it that's how i will say that those two words may be coming in plan. i might be inventing this up but that's what just came to my mind when you just asked the how to compare those sure no i think that makes sense uh one thing that you mentioned uh just now about having the space for creativity and one of the things that you mentioned was that humans and businesses have different motivations so a business is you know focused on numbers and stuff but as humans or that human experience we were craving something else we need a different type of i guess space to be creative so how do you start or in your experience how do you start to change a work culture that is so i guess productivity and number focused to start taking into account the human experience and the value of the human connection mm-hmm. I, i go back to basics yeah, and what i mean by going back to basics is um and again i will reference quite a few elements that because i listened to this podcast just recently the one that you were with this teacher what i forgot her name uh, dr nadira 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 uh, she is about the collaborative effort it's not just one individual it's about how everybody fits in this bigger picture and going back to basic means how to reawaken or relearn in all these moving parts that let's say me as a scrum master the closest that to the moving parts are the team members so how can i inspire create that space for them to reevaluate how creativity emerges how actually they can work better together that maybe numbers are not as important as more the trust and the value that you give each other and the space to listen to each other and with intent yeah so you actively listen yeah uh, and so it's very important that you make sure that these individual elements are well and this is a mechanical way of saying lubricated and lubricated mm. as in putting a lot of effort in them developing themselves and giving those uh, opportunities like a book i might recommend or a podcast or just a topic a topic that maybe they they struggle to talk in other contexts and i find a way to channel it and bring it up to life it could be personal or it could be related to work or work that comes from a personal because many times work so is going to making sure that that system behaves well and inspiring others and hopefully that has a domino effect on the rest of the organization and if more people do the same then the system will adapt uh, based on how these different elements so one thing that i repeat more a lot is that look you are here because you work as a team and you need so many people to figure this problem out or otherwise if you were so uh, self sufficient you would need no wouldn't need anybody and you would do it on your own There's a reason why we're so so huge and we have to collaborate so well we have all these tools and technologies trying to help that um so i go to there i always go to basics how well are they aware of imposing their curiosity making sure that they trust each other and they, they listen well to each other and does that all start in your opinion juan from just starting to communicate more or is there 
or is it a certain type of communicating? You know, not just small talk or starting to really like, you know, open up and communicate to one another on a human level. Yeah. I think, again, it goes how much you have developed yourself. So in my case, and, and it's the hardest thing to do in life is to what you say is what you do. Yeah, that's a that's a hard <laughs> thing to actually extrapolate and oh, all the things that I'm thinking in my head that I think are valuable, I actually put them in practice because in that case, everybody will be fit or everybody will be doing a lot of things, but we don't do them, yeah? So, so that is very important. Uh, and I do it in the domains that I feel where my strengths and I can bring most value around me. And that is in my own personal development. So I think the more you develop yourself in a variety of areas, yeah, so that means uh, not only physical, so intellectual, uh, spiritual, uh, uh, psychological, any, any domain that you can touch, that you can develop yourself in, uh, it will give you more options when, when communicating with somebody. So I would say you will increase the probability of a more impactful and better outcome based on how much dedication and time you have put in practice the things that you're learning for yourself as well. So I'll give you a concrete example. So what something that I do, I make sure that no matter how long the book is or how short, I, there's something that I can take from there and that I can apply it somehow to real life, that I can think about it, that I can uh, reevaluate maybe an idea that I had of how something works. For example, one of the biggest problems in an organization is how to scale and how to scale sustainably. But this is not a problem of a company only. This is a problem of the whole world. So this is kind of bringing it down to a more localized version. And, and the book that I started to read to kind of give me more new ideas uh, of people that are seeing this at a very complex level, and I'm not going to put it at that level myself, but it inspires me to have more nuances. And it's a book called Scale by Jeffrey West, and it's a theoretical physicist. And I've been fascinating, though complex and sometimes lost. But if I keep even 20% of that information in the back of my head, that will serve me so much for when I come with new ideas into the workplace, for example, how can I promote better uh, efficient solutions or sustainable solutions for how we're scaling? Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's how the cycle should be of growth, application, having a good purpose, and then you apply it, and then the cycle continues. Yeah. I remember from um, a talk I watched a few years ago, I can't remember who it was by, but mm. they said something that was really interesting to me on this concept that we're talking about, which is personal development. Cause that's something that, you know, that's one of my biggest, if not biggest obsession. And they're like, personal development is something you do for other people. And I was, 
I sat back for a second and I was like, what? Uh, no, I'm doing personal development for myself. I don't understand. But the way they explained it is that just how you did, the more I can develop myself, the more of service and the better I can be to and help other people. What do you think about that? No, no, no that's a hundred percent. I mean, I wouldn't cut it dry so black and white and like you just do it for other people. It, that I, whenever I hear things like that, is they they're doing their best to catch your attention. The reality is a little bit different, but without a doubt, it's how much you give is how much you get back. What comes around goes around. Is that's a fact of life, and it maybe is not so uh, visible. Sometimes it's very internal things that they are battling that they have not resolved. And I will say, definitely, what you do, the bigger purpose is to give it back uh, in some way, and that could just. Like the other day, I, I had never thought of this in that way. And, and it makes it even more important why you should create meaningful, long-term relationships, uh, not only in the intimate, but in, in, in as friendships. And uh, Simon Sinek put something about how you define mentorship. And I think that's a good way of defining mentorship. Mentorship is a friendship where you can count for getting uh, good feedback and you both learn together in some degree yeah so uh, I, I i think and that's and another concept you are what you are based on the five people that are closest to you yeah. and that that it's who the environment that you create you are responsible for that environment so it's important that you create people that will encourage your curiosity, that will do trust you, that are not judging, that have an open mind as much as they can, or at least willing to bring the open mind to life. Again, maybe we use too many absolutes, but I, I have an allergic reaction to absolutes. I think everything is for the bet. I think everything should be questioned. There's just some core principles that we should keep, you know, be respectful for each other. Yeah, and and make sure that uh, we we don't carry the truth, the absolute truth. And they're saying that, um, uh, yeah, follow those who seek the truth. Be wary of those who said that they have found it. Oh, I love that. That's yeah, so interesting. That's really good. Yeah, that's really that's really, good. really that's really really good. Yeah. I've never thought of something like that in that way. It actually makes a lot of sense because one, you know, I think in whether it's development, whether it's truth, whatever it might be, once you think you've figured it out, that's the point where you start to lose. And that's the point where, you know, everyone else is going to surpass you. Exactly, exactly. No matter how wise you think you are, how much experience you have gone, oh, it, there's always room for you to grow and it doesn't stop and the key is how adaptable you are at learning these new lessons that life brings no i totally agree man i wanted to come back to what we were talking about earlier that you mentioned you're a scrum master and that the most important i guess variables for yourself are your teams so i actually read the article that you wrote with uh, your colleague michelle about and it's called hitchhiker's guide to uh, working remote 
uh, and the challenges that uh, come with it. So it was interesting that one of the challenges that you guys addressed was losing the emotional context and the lack of openness. So I was interested, how did you arrive at those two challenges? And why do you think those are the things that people struggle with when working remotely? So um, let's say already society has made too much for individualism. And individualism, again, in absolute form, in a way that, yeah, we should take care of ourselves and figure out those spaces, but it's not about you being selfish and not care. So I think already in in organizations, and especially if, if a company has scaled a lot, the deepness of connections gets lost because it's hard for you to relate to something that happens to maybe 10,000 people that the organization is. So already you have a barrier there that is hard to overcome due to how this system works. I mean, that's another long conversation, but let's say the system has reinforced the fact that what you do, you do it for yourself, not for anybody else. I mean, when you earn money, it's for you. You pay taxes, but you don't even remember where those taxes go. So you don't really care. So at the end, the things are, are the, the system we have constructed it so that the individual can succeed and by chance maybe helps others. Yeah. Um, so when you go remote, it, you already take another layer of it, which is the human connection, just being there present. It, that does help a lot when you walk around the office and uh, you bump into people, you start to talk and that's good. So it's not the custom to people actively seek for help or seek for support or seek for deep conversation. It's not a custom. It's not something that we've been in any way encouraged to do. So if you already eliminated the the barrier that it's already tough to do it in an organization due to the characteristics of the system, imagine you putting in top of that the layer of you just have a screen and you need to actively press a button to connect with somebody to be able to talk with that's a hard thing to do if you do not have the practice of doing it most people again because of individualism there's a tendency to think that i should be able to resolve the problem by myself i should be able to figure this out by reading a book doing exercise or whatever they think that will resolve uh, whatever difficulty the, the individual is going. When the key is to break beliefs and to break beliefs, you need other people to challenge them. And you need to actively seek other people, but we don't do. So I think uh, just the remoteness already in the system that we have creates another layer of difficulty or distance to actually approach this from a more creating the human contact. Um, One thing that you mentioned, Juan, was, you know, about, I know you have a huge passion for, you know, developing connections and relationships. And that's something that I always admired about you. And because you, in our first conversation, I felt like we connected on a level that I would not have necessarily connected with someone, especially on a first meeting. And it's because you were so, you know, vulnerable and open and shared so many of your own stories. And you mentioned in the other podcasts that, one person actually came up to you and said, the reason I shared with you, Juan, is because you shared all that stuff with me and I, you didn't ask me for anything. So how do we, I guess, in your opinion, how do you start to become a more vulnerable person 
uh, because on last week's podcast, uh, I spoke to uh, a life coach and we're having that conversation about vulnerability. So my view was, I thought vulnerability is the willingness to share information about myself without any, you know, fear or whatsoever. But she actually flips it on me and she's like, the vulnerability comes from the quality of the connection that you have with yourself. And that was so interesting to me because I thought vulnerability was an external thing, not an internal thing. So what would you say about that? Ooh, nah, that's 100%. I, I was going to flip it around as well. It's the amount of curiosity that you have to question yourself. I mean, uh, if one thing we need to regress a bit more is learn how we were as children. And what happens is in this life, we many times, we've been taught as in, once you grow older and you take responsibility as if the child needs to die and you just need to forget of all those incredible attributes that makes the person grow so how to still stay responsible with life but at the same time continue nurturing those childlike characteristics and one thing that a child has is incredibly curious and will not stop to question anything and the only thing that starts break putting us in a box is the the culture and the beliefs and the ideas that we were taught so if if you are curious and, and i guess the other very important word if you are brave enough i think we all have the willingness to be brave i think but you really need to be an extra level of braveness to go oh maybe the things that i know are not correct maybe there are other options of how to view a b c problem and and to and imagine if you do that questioning too late in life imagine you spent a whole lifetime thinking of in one way and and you built your life around those concepts and then you are like 50 and you want to reevaluate that that's a really hard thing to chew on because it means breaking down what you thought was true. And again, you should follow the truth, but you shouldn't stay static as in, I found it. Yeah. And, and, and so, so I was, I completely agree. It's how much, how many questions are you asking about yourself? And you can get this through therapy, through different types of experience, you know, flotation tanks, you know, even taking some type of psychedelic trip as well can open your mind to question, all right, there's some things that don't make sense now. Let me reevaluate this. So there's so many perspectives that it's important to continuously ask yourself these tough questions and find as many answers as you think you can find from different perspectives. And that will give constantly to see if you're balanced or not. Because the whole point in life, and this is a strong, it's actually what Buddhism preaches, is to find balance so that when things go wrong, you don't go insane. Or if things goes good, as well, you don't go insane because you need to find a steady ground where you can still stay somewhat attached to what the reality is giving no i actually something you mentioned that i uh, i think about a lot was you mentioned the child aspect and how it always blows my mind how 
much of, I guess, who we are now and some of our beliefs that we might or biases that we not might be aware of come from our experiences from childhood. And that just blows my mind yeah. because I'm like, we've you've lived a whole life and so many different experiences. How is that belief still something that I believe in today? So I got, actually got this book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's all about, you know, how the body, we carry trauma with us. And it's written by like a scientist. So we analyze it from a lot of different ways. And it's so interesting how, like you said, the, the effects that things happen to us as children still affect us today. But to come back to your questioning point, in my opinion, I think that, or at least in my experiences, it's great to question. And I'm a person that asks like a lot of questions of myself, but I think some, to some other people or from what I've seen from them is that they don't want to face those kind of questions or they're not willing to, you know, address those kind of things. Why do you, why do you think that is? Or how do pe people become more, I guess, interested in that? I mean, this is something that I, again, I think I read somewhere or I listened to a podcast and now I get confused where all this information comes from. But I remember it's just very natural. I mean, think about it. What are the new generation of people here to come for? Uh, to question the beliefs that we had from the previous generation. What is the old generation here to stay for? Is to continue nurturing and improving the, the beliefs that they already have and defending them as much as they can. So, so, so I think it's how life has evolved on how we keep a balance. Because if we stay too static with just the beliefs that come out in one generation, will be stuck and that's what happened in the middle ages but if we want uh, but if we want always new ideas then we are in chaos and as well that doesn't work uh, uh, having constantly just so many stuff all around is creating more confusion than clar clarification in the world now I mean, it's just too much it's just too much information for any one individual to make a sense out of all this so uh, i think it's just the natural nature of how life is the important is that you keep a glimpse of both of those sides, that you are aware that that's the constant battle, the new against the old. Mm. And there will be a new new, and the old will come back and still say, no, I don't like this change. Yeah, and it's, you can see it as an abstract battle, but it's a battle that we live every day with everything that we do. Yeah. Uh, one thing that... Um... I really admired about you is that you love talking to people to get different perspectives. You know, one thing you said that I totally agree with was how can you get a new perspective if you just keep asking the same questions to yourself? You know, you're always going to come to the same answer. And one of the podcasts or something I watched was they said that to be one of the, if you can master the skill, you have, you know, a great chance of being successful in whatever you do is the ability to hold two different perspectives in your mind. And, not kind of favor one or the other and just like have be comfortable with keeping, you know, those two perspectives in your mind. So how do you, in your experience, I guess, train yourself to become comfortable with, you know, holding two completely different opposing thoughts in your mind and, you know, acting on those in that way? Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes you might act against them because, it, 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 well, that's the beauty of human beings. The beauty of human beings is that we can keep contradictory ideas in our head, but still adapt to them in one or, or a different context. Like there are scientists, and for example, Neil deGrasse Tyson has an allergic reaction to this, that there are scientists that still are religious 
And he's like, no, they shouldn't be. But I think it's not bad. I mean, in, in, in entirely. I mean, if everybody was religious, then we have a problem. Again, too, too many extremes are bad. So, but it is possible that a very high level scientist can live in the realm of science in university and with his colleagues, but when in his personal life can go to the realm of religion and it's fine. I think rituals are very important. It's just the purpose that you give it. Is, is religion how you're gonna view everything in life or is it, does it have a different meaning, a different purpose? And we go back to purpose again. You know, I think you are, if you have good valid purposes for all the things that you do, it should create a better harmonious way of how to keep these contradictions alive because these contradictions is how life is. Again, love and hate. I mean, even the pleasure, the centers of pleasure and pain, they're in the same place. So, so biologically speaking, we have to deal with this in our own life and they extrapolate at different levels. So we can be one day with our partner loving them to bits and another day, just we want to get rid of them. And, and, and that contradiction is a fact of life. I remember somebody saying, a therapist was saying, look, if you go a couple of days a week going to sleep, hating your partner, that's okay. No, there's nothing wrong with that. That, that unfortunately, that's how life it approaches you and you just need to take away what is this in what way is this moving you forward yeah and not stay stuck on the fact that why is life so complicated and contradictory and has all these layers and complexity i think what will serve better most people is to be more humble in everything that they do their relationship, their status, their their views, their 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 their, their beliefs—just humbleness—and that goes a long way with curiosity. Yeah. So uh, the contradictions are necessary evil, yin and yang, for us to find the beauty of finding more nuanced solutions because we need to take in consideration those two aspects. I think it's the beauty of love. One thing you mentioned um, in the last podcast, which is something that I think struggle with and people have told me this as well, which is you mentioned that people just need to learn to be kinder to themselves. And so going on what you just said, you know, like, for example, you go to sleep every night, you might hit your partner a couple of times and that's okay. That that mindset, that word, that it's okay. Because something I struggle with personally is... Mm -hmm. And I believe in order to, you know, achieve what I want, you know, my goals, my relationships, whatever I need, I need to put in as much work as possible. And I'm very critical about myself. And I don't know, or I still struggle with being, you know, saying to myself, you know, Khaled, it's okay. It's okay that, you know, that didn't happen. It's okay that you feel this way. You know, I feel like when I reach a certain point, I'm not almost, as we mentioned, I spoke to you about this last time, I'm not allowed to feel those other things that, you know, come with it. So what would you say or how, what advice would you, I guess, give to someone or other people who struggle with that as well? Yeah, I would say just experiment with those feelings or those, uh, with those internal beliefs. Like, for example, I'll give you one concrete example of my 
an internal belief that I was staying away and now I found some more peaceful middle. One passion of mine that didn't serve me well because of how much time and dedication that I took to it was video games. Video games was something of a deep thing for me and I even worked professionally in that area. So I went that far. I didn't only play them, enjoy them. I went, all right, I'm going to be in this industry and I'm really going to see how this works and I want to live the dream. Yeah, The dream wasn't as I ex- thought it was going to be at the end, but I still have a deep-rooted connection with video games. So once I left the video game industry and I went into an area of development that served me better for this growth mindset and I don't get stuck in an environment of where the whole purpose mainly is to keep people engaged with having fun. Yeah, that's kind of the whole purpose of video games at the end. There are exceptions, but in general, that's where they go for. Um, I went to Scrum Mastering and there, that's where I started to see, oh, you can actually give something which has better meaning and value and still have fun with it. I started to have a deep negative feeling towards video games. I kind of rejected it. I thought it was the evil, it was bad, it was, everything was wrong with it. And that took quite a few years before I started to be, befriend it. And this is something that we, we, we have used, it's used a lot yeah, in many books, that you need to befriend Again, this pain or this contradiction or this difficulty. And by befriending, it means experimenting with it. So at some point, uh, I said, oh, I really want to have a Nintendo Switch. I really want to have one. And I have been thinking about it since a long time because there's just two specific games I wanted to play, Mario and Zelda. And... Uh, so Yeah, oh man, they're amazing. I, I just love the art form of video games. Anyway, so... I had it and there was a difficulty at the beginning. I had to test myself. Do I really want to spend time with this? Because there were sensations of guilt or sensations of, uh, yes, look, you can do better than this. But no, I think we should all have certain spaces for everything. And I think the part of life is that you feel that you grow and that you enjoy it. You know, you have joy with life. And joy, the definition of joy, is having fun without a purpose. That's joy. So joy is just going there, maybe just doing nothing. So how to give space to all these experiences and that you can be at, at, at peace with them and that you reflect on them, what is it that they're telling you when you do them? And making sure that the purpose is not, for example, ah, I could be playing, but I could be for me to avoid having conversations with my partner because that way she doesn't speak to me, for example. Yeah. That mm. would be a bad purpose because that won't be serving you well. If it's a purpose, no, I just want to be distracted. I want to be focused. Uh, it's a thing that I do. Meanwhile, I go on autopilot and I listen to something. Oh, that could be better. And, and then see the degree of how it serves you to go to the next level. Maybe you want to read a, write a book. Maybe you need to play less then. You can't really dedicate, I don't know, let's say an hour here or there. No, you need to dedicate maybe 10 minutes. But that's where you learn how to live and balance these contradictions. How much is too much fun or how much is too much um, pushing for you to be this superhuman being? Yeah? I mean, uh, 
keeping that balance is always important, but making sure that you test them in real life with whatever you think might bother you is very important because the theory is very different to the practice. So it's important that you practice with the things that you're afraid of. Okay. I think that's really interesting. Uh, and a point, something I thought about as you were speaking, uh, when you use the example like, oh, am I playing video games to like not talk to my partner or to, you know, so... I think there's a fine line, or what do you think about this, between joy and an escape? Or are those yeah, two course. things? You know, <laughs> those, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. I mean, uh, I would say when I worked in video games and when I was there, I was escaping from having more responsibilities. And that's what I felt. That was my karma that I was following. Like, I had a really easy, comfortable life. I didn't worry about anything. I just went to work, did my thing. Uh, I didn't read books. I remember back in those days, I read a lot of, I read a lot, but just not books. I read comics. I read articles about video games. I read video game magazines. And there was a lot of information that I knew about video games, but I was sucked in that little world of video games. So, uh, and I just didn't question that. How much I was just doing this, routine that was not serving me well to see other options that I might be missing that will balance my life more. And I personally, some people can make the change within the environment itself. I just couldn't. It was too much. I mean, me staying in video games and on top of that, learning and doing it, for me, it was too hard. So I needed to get out. Now I realize in hindsight, I'm just thinking about this now. I needed to get out of that environment for me to see the new perspective and then see why maybe it didn't serve me for so long. And maybe I could have had better outcomes and still stayed there, but I learned them afterwards in a different context, I think. Yeah. So kind of taking that break gave you that new perspective to, I guess, develop a new relationship to video games and to be comfortable, exactly. you know, with yeah. the enjoyment of it and why you fell in love with it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I, I actually crossed my mind now with all my new knowledge on how to work with teams and how to scale and all, all these ideas that uh, it's about having a more healthy environment in, in, at work. It, I had thought of maybe jumping back to video games and maybe uh, seeing if I could do the impact, because one thing that video games has is that it has a lot of passion. They are so passionate, the people that work there. So so that you can do a lot from them. Either are they going to be given the space to use that passion in more than just do video games? That's a hard thing to answer. And it would depend on the organization if they will be willing to do that. But uh, I will, I've been curious to see if I could apply these ideas that I applied in these other that I've learned afterwards in these other organizations. Haven't had the opportunity yet. Well, I'm sure you'll take some more time and think about it and you're gonna come, you'll, you'll get to a place where you'll make a decision knowing you. Um, you mentioned something um, interesting, Juan, that I think in maybe depending on the company, but passion is something that I think, you know, whatever company you're working for, are you that passionate about it? Not necessarily, but the passion to maybe serve that goal is there. And you coach people. So you, when you mentioned earlier that something very important that about personal development, that where each person is on a different level of personal mm -hmm. development, of, you know, curiosity, of awareness. Mm -hmm. So 
And it's one thing to coach someone on an individual basis, like one-to-one and help them in their growth. But when you have teams and you're like managing like 150 people and everyone's on these different levels, how do you start to, I guess, level it out almost and start to like, I guess, find some commonality of where to start this this conversation or help everyone start on this journey of personal development? Right. That's a hard one. Um, first of all, it's not, I mean, we interact with, I interact with the tribe. I interact it more indirectly. So I wish I had the contact with 150 people. I don't, but I would say I stick more to my teams. But what I think is most important for the transformation to happen is that you have very good role models. That's key. So the change, the coaching comes by who you are. The better coach you are, more than likely, the more developed and nuanced and open and different perspectives you have is how much effort you have done in yourself. So uh, the more you walk the talk, the more likely more people will start. I think that's a good perspective to follow. I'm going to follow something similar. But it's on a daily basis. It's not like you go and do a sermon one day and you go, oh, look, I found Nirvana. No, it's like on, on in different occasions, in different contexts, how you solve problems, how you encourage them. If you say, if you stay coherent, so when things are bad, you don't go bad with them, that you still stay the person that can encourage them to find new solutions, that you remind them that that the coherence between what you think and what you say stays present because that coherence and we 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 want that though life is not is kind of giving a little bit of predictability yeah you're more predictable if you're coherent yeah and people will like that we all like that we don't like change change is annoying yeah, very annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so, so especially if it's a big change, changing career, changing partner, changing, I don't know, countries, that, that, that big change. They, they, they take an awful lot, lot of effort. Yeah? We sometimes take them for granted. We think, oh, you're just going to move to a new house. No, that's a big thing. It's bigger than the people who actually take it for granted. Yeah? Um, so I, I really would say it's about who and how you present yourself as. And so that will encourage potentially more people to do something similar because you want to promote, not that you stay as the sole solution coach or whatever to everything. You want everybody else to do the same or something similar like you, you can coach or be supporting your, your uh, colleague just beside you. And you could do that. And not just open, hoping that the manager, the, the boss, yeah, the, the, the lead that was going to tell me the answer. Yeah. I'm curious to hear because you've been doing this for a few years now. So number one, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned from all the people, all the people that you've been coaching? Number one. And number two, what is something or what is something that you still struggle with today in terms of coaching people? Mm-hmm. All right. So the one thing that I that I cherish, that's a comment that was given to me when I left uh, one company that was in the UK, when I was there, that was my first Scrum Master job, 
because towards the end of the role, there wasn't much for me to do because I handed it over. So I was just there present, having conversations and all that. So the team kind of started to create a joke and saying, hey, you don't do much, do you? And I said, no, I'm here just to support you. It's fine. Okay. Do you mind? No? Okay. So that was an ongoing joke. And towards the end, um, uh, something changed in the organization. And because of that change, they thought that maybe it would be a good idea that I could maybe stay because there was going to be something that was going to improve. And, and I said, oh, man, that's interesting. All this time you were saying that I wasn't really that useful. Yeah. But all of a sudden, uh, when this is our last meal, it was our last meal. And then you think that I should stay and say, how come is that? And the answer that they gave me was, we just like having you around. That is very important. I think it's important to know that you can, they say this a lot, be yourself. And I think the more yourself you are, the more of sense of stability people get, and they can maybe find that as a resource for them, for themselves. Yeah. Uh, that was the biggest, I, I felt, at least one of the biggest compliments that I got out of nowhere uh, without asking. And, 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 I, and I understood that message very clearly. You need to keep on perfecting yourself by staying coherent. The second, uh, where I got my biggest difficulty that you say that I get, um, my biggest difficulty, I will say, is from that the change, and this is something that said uh, Nadir, the, the Nader, woman, yeah. Prof. Nader, uh, it takes a lot of patience. It's a very long journey. <laughs> it's like I lived it in my personal life, in my relationship. It's been a beautiful six years, and I'm married now. And, and uh, But it's been a long journey in in figuring things out because especially because we're so opposite in our in our personalities so in an organization where you have so much variety so many generations so many different ideas of how things should be managed and ruled and there's this emotional aspect that you try to extract it out of it and say no we're I don't take things personal, but probably you do sometimes, yeah? That's fine, yeah? It's just very hard to, especially if you have developed a lot, to see, uh, I can see how much effort this is going to take. I know where we need to go, but based on the resources and my situation at hand, I know I just need to be patient and just take it one day at a time and not be so overwhelmed that this seems so far it's one thing that i was a teacher before when mm -hmm. i was younger and 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 one of the reasons why i left teaching is that i knew as a teacher the results will be really seen of the efforts of that individual and let alone i was a teacher in for one subject yeah um, will be seen 20 years in the future maybe yeah? once they grow up because it was secondary school and but now i'm a little bit closer to that journey of development i don't have to wait 20 years i probably can wait a quarter of that time maybe five years or less to see maybe the the results and my impact within the system which is nice yeah so that that's kind of how i see the pros and cons and all that 
That's really interesting, man. Um, I wanted to come back to, um, you know, talking about change and how you, how people feel at work and stuff. And you mentioned before that you have a def your default tendency is to trust people. And yeah. I think what I've learned in my, uh, you know, working experience as well, you know, in the different jobs that I had uh, in my last company is the first time I truly felt like real trust. And that, that feeling when you come to work, it's not just a friendship that you know that everyone appreciates your effort and what you do and you to them as well, gives you such a motivation and a confidence that I can't even put into words. But something that I think a lot of people struggle with is how do we, in your opinion, how do we learn to become more trusting? Where does that start? Do you know what I mean? How do we start to become, learn how to trust, as you mentioned before? How do you start learning how to trust people? I will say the first part is how you grew up and depending on how if that worked out for you or not to create a trusting environment if you were not given that gift of trust then is as well finding good role models that you can see what trust means because you need to have the experience of trust experience is not it can you can get guided maybe through a book or, or, or some ideas and reflections but in reality trust comes by actually trusting others so and what it means to trust somebody and that the trust can be broken I mean even he said that where you mo mostly learn is from failure yeah so that's when you go ah maybe trusting in this way or this much didn't serve me for this person let's see what i can reevaluate on that yeah so yeah. i remember a friend of mine i'll give you an example how i learned trust in in a personal experience and it was a very dear friend of mine we played a lot of videos i was 16 15 something like that and and we were like for friends for four years and I thought we trusted each other a lot but I didn't realize that I was a little bit of a bully in the sense that I was making a lot of jokes out of his expense yeah I didn't realize that at the moment I was immature I just kept on being who I was which I thought was okay yeah again I thought my truth was found huh? Uh, so, and then at some point, the, this friend of mine just stopped me after four years, I think four or three years, and said, you know, you, I really didn't like how you refer to me in this way and this aspect. So, uh, no, this is the last time. And after that moment, it felt that trust was broken, but from a perspective of, well, there's a part of responsibility here because he could have told me earlier. But there's a part of responsibility in me because I didn't reflect enough. Mm -hmm. It goes both ways. There's never one sole culprit. It's very rare that that happens. And so I had to reevaluate trust then. You know, what does it mean, trust? How do I actually perform trust? It's not making fun of people. That doesn't create trust. Yeah, and, and always taking advantage of maybe he was more shy, more quiet, so I could do that more. No. Uh, and that's, for example, a lesson that I learned of how what I thought was trust in practice wasn't manifesting like that. Mm. And I needed to reevaluate how actually friendships are taken care of.
How would you, because I thought about this, how would you in your own words describe what is trust? Because we sit, we use it a lot. Yeah, I trust you. I trust you. But if we bring it down, in your opinion, what does that? What does it mean? How would you describe yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, so trust. I, I think there's a, a big spectrum of what trust can be. So it's not the same that I trust my wife as I trust maybe a friend that I just met out in the street. Yeah, or my neighbor. Yeah, there's a different type of trust. But I would say, at its core, and again. These are really good questions, and I'm, I'm coming up with answers now because I never really defined it so well. Maybe I did it in some session. Um, is being available for the possibility of being hurt, I think. Is being available to the possibility that something might come up that might make you feel more uncomfortable than not yeah i think that's where you really grasp all right that's trust yeah because uh, <laughs> I, I just came up with that definition just now because um you need to be, be sure that even if it's a tough conversation and the other person might receive it with their own beliefs uh, that might not be in the same line as you that you're able to take back that information without feeling uh, attacked yeah just listen mm. i think it's an amazing way to put it i love that man it's it explains it so well you know the the you know being comfortable with the possibility i love that you said the possibility that you might this you might get hurt but you're yeah. again trusting that hope yeah, you know, yeah it won't yeah. and it can handle that that hurt like like bob marley had a quote and i i think it's bob marley i found it somewhere and it was like in People are going to hurt you. Just make sure that the ones that hurt you are worth it. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That worth, or are worth having that pain for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing you mentioned in the past, and it kind of goes with the whole trust thing as well, like trust and vulnerability. You mentioned in the last podcast is to learn when and who you should be tr you should trust and you should be vulnerable to and that's something that i think i'm still like trying to learn and understand so could you give me maybe an example of why you said that or where does that like how do you start to learn how to navigate that for example well well that the, going back to the example that i just gave with that friend it, that was a good example of saying when and how should i trust or who it, it, I was not clear, at least for me, how was the relationship based on, you know, how, how, how was it manifesting for each party? So I think who is, depending on the conversations you are, you are allowed or can have, you know, and, and when it, making sure that uh, you have a, a good understanding of what context you're in yeah it's very different i think to be in a team where you talk uh, that you meet regularly with maybe other people that have other level view in an organization that need to take other type of decision it's, 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 i think there are levels or degrees of differences on how that manifests or how um, how the truth is presented huh? Let's put it like that, yeah? Because you should show the truth. 
you should be able to share the truth. But some people can uh, absorb or understand the truth, which is a manifestation of, of how much you trust in different degrees. And maybe I'm being too abstract here. Uh, let's say a, a, a good rule of thumb is if the person shares with you information that permits you to go to a deeper level of understanding of each other and if that is a possibility then you can experiment there what are the things that you can tweak to reevaluate what is it that trust is there now this is not something that you do actively I, I don't do this actively i'm just thinking about it now that we're talking in the moment you do what you think is best in that moment then you reflect and maybe you adjust afterwards so uh, again i will go back to practice with the people that you have closest mm -hmm. see how these topics emerge i mean think about topics like death yeah yeah how much a person can talk about that topic that's a good thing to bring up maybe to test you know to see you know how much you can delve in different realms and that would de determine the degree of profoundity and maybe of different levels of trust that you can have with each other so. yeah i wanted to uh, come to relationships because i know that's something that you're really interested in as well and one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is whether it's a friendship or whether it's a romantic relationship, whatever, or a business relationship, whatever it might be, I'm trying to understand what makes it successful. Because if two people in any type of relationship, whatever it might, whatever the context is, at the core of it, there might not be an issue between you, but if you want different things at the end of the day, can a relationship like that still work? Or, you know, because no matter how much you compromise, you want, I'm on this side, but you're on that side. And no, no one's at fault. We're just in two different places and at two different times. So what do you think about that? Well, first you need to define what does success mean? I mean, I think every person will have their different definition of that. You know, maybe success means, because that's what they believe, is being happy all the time. Another one is, I know that they travel everywhere. Uh, another one, you know, th these are simplifications of what I mean by success. Another one could be just staying for as long together as possible. Yeah. Uh, so depending on that definition of success, I would say, uh, it, and I, your cousin said it, and I, I, I completely resonate with that, with what she was saying there. Uh, it was that there is two people that, and it could be more than two people because now relationships do involve uh, uh, more than just two because we are changing the paradigms and the definitions of what family and how intimacy is brought. So again, we are challenging a lot of beliefs at the same time and sometimes that gets very confusing. So the, regardless of all that, is who you share, share a journey with. And when you share the journey with somebody, your role as a human being is to give back. We said that before, you know, you give back. Yeah. yeah. So you should provide the best space possible for that the other person can shine. 
And that ideally should be reciprocal. But that means as well, giving each other the space for them to develop. Now, because of the individualistic society, we get a little bit over enthusiastic with how individualistic individualism manifests and we might go really far. That's your choice. And if you do that, there's a price to pay when you go through journeys together, because when you go in a journey together, you want to accompany each other. And sometimes somebody needs to do some compromises and it goes both ways. And if one thing I've learned is that the more, and that depends on your boundaries, that's another topic, a long topic, but you need to clarify what your boundaries are, which the things you like, you don't like, which change anyway. Um, you need to really def uh, have clear that that journey, as you go through, you will change. Yeah. And those changes might, might uh, determine the length of the journey. Mm. And those changes, normally when you are younger, they occur more often because you're in the discovery phase. As you grow older, you stay a little bit more stable. Yeah. So, so it's very important to assess, you know, how that journey you're having with that person. And if you are very, with your eyes wide open that you're both going to change, how much are you willing to compromise based on those changes as you go through life? Hmm. Because if somebody, the, the most typical change that happens to somebody and is more of an external factor rather than internal, but it's determined of what you think, how important that is for you. It's like you're together and, and, and one of you has a breakthrough through their career and they need to move somewhere else. That's a classic, a very big classic. Um, now, the older generation struggled more with remote relationships. They wouldn't tolerate that. You're either together or you're not, that's it. The younger generation apparently are changing. I was listening this to, I think it was just Esther Perel or somewhere else. There was a podcast that was saying that now the younger generations are more, they can compromise more with the idea of long distance relationship. They live there, I live here, we see each other on a regular occasional basis. And that's fine. That is for you to determine your non-negotiables. My non-negotiable is like, no, you need, I like to have the person close to me. So, and we both agree with that. There's many other things that we don't agree, but this is something that brings us together and we continue together. See, I did work far for a bit and we did experiment because I, I was working remotely, uh, not remotely. I was working in the UK, going back and forth to Amsterdam for seven months. And it was not successful. It didn't work out. But we experimented. Again, you, when you ask me, you know, how do you know trust? How do you know? Well, you need to experiment. How far can you push your boundaries and actually put them in practice? And if you feel comfortable with that. And I did it. We both did it. I mean, we both, I was from Monday to Friday over there in the UK, weekends in Amsterdam. Man, it was horrible. Yeah, yes. But I did it for as long as I could. It was my first job as a scrum master, so I paid the price to learn as well. 
there was a learning process, but it was enough for those seven months to realize, no, that's something I'm not going to repeat again. Mm. And it doesn't serve any of us. Again, experimentation. There was this guy, the guy that I think that I might be wrong here. In, uh, from good to great, I think he was referring to that when he was young, he used to uh, treat himself like a bug and he had a book called The Bug Book. And so uh, he he was just writing down all the little um, experience that he was having with different contexts or different people to evaluate why, how, and he was studying himself like he was like a bug. Another way of putting in practice, see where your boundaries and your limits are, then, then it will be much easier for you to be at peace with the person that you find because you will have clarity in what are your non-negotiables. And Christopher Ryan always talks about this, the non-negotiables. You know? yeah, he's the author of the book Sex at Dawn and he's got this podcast called Tangentially Speaking. So it's a... Um, there, there's so many things that you need to take into account to finally come to the conclusion if this can go uh, longer and longer and longer, but it, it never ends. That's the, the thing that people, that people try to avoid. Like they want things to not change, but life is changing everywhere all the time. Mm. Yeah. So you wish that that little space that is your partner wouldn't change, but it's going to happen anyway. <laughs> so we need to get used to the fact that things are becoming even more changing than ever. Yeah. What would you say? Cause I, someone asked me this question the other day and I'd never really thought of it. And the question was, what is the difference to you between a friendship and a relationship? Uh -huh. I'm like, oh, like, that's interesting because uh, and for me, when I thought about it, I'm like, oh, they're like, I consider them the same thing. The only thing that differs uh, that takes it from either a friendship to a romantic relationship would be the physical aspect. But the, I think the and another thing I thought of, I'm like about love, like the love I have for like a friend and the love I have for like a partner. Isn't that the same thing almost? Do you know what I mean? Like, Or is it yeah, completely yeah, yeah. different things? So how, what would you say to that? Estelle Perel talks a lot about this in the book Mating in Captivity and State of Affairs. Yeah. And she's doing something really impressive that she's now joining the ideas from couple relationship into work, relationships at work, as in calling. Oh, That's really good. Yeah, it's a podcast that she's built. It's called How It Works. Anyway, so answering your question, when you said relationship, I assume in that you're talking an intimate relationship because yeah, otherwise yeah. relationship is a friendship. But okay, but you're talking an intimate yeah. relationship. All right. Yeah. So I would say in Estelle Perel puts something very clear that makes it super tough nowadays in relationships to work out well. Not so long ago, we lived much more in communities. So parents were closer. Family were closer. So the burden of the relationship went to other people, not only the couple itself, though they need to resolve it, but there was a, a, a bigger support system. Now, because of the nature of how we are going each time to bigger, more individualistic cities, where you can be in a flat and living in an apartment block and there might be, I don't know, 500 
apartments there and you maybe know two neighbors but you really don't know anybody else i mean you just maybe say hello and goodbye and that's it so the sense of community has been lost so we've put a tremendous amount of pressure on each individual in the relationship now the, i'm i'm going a long way to explain to keep put in contract what is the difference with a friendship yeah so in a relationship in an intimate relationship that you you live with them you spend time with them day by day you go and do different projects together or maybe just support each other in your own project that experience is much you have a much bigger responsibility over the well-being of each other than in a friendship because in a friendship they have their own life i mean unless that friendship is living with you then is either family or is your intimate partner which yeah but i would say a friendship you have much less responsibility of the outcomes and decisions that that person will do because it's their life they're going to go on and hop on go there there you're not there in the nitty-gritty of their choices with an intimate relationship you're screwed you you have all the friendship and all the tough stuff that you need to go when you go at war with a problem you need to be in the trenches together finding a way to deal with a, a good solution for the problem so i think that's the biggest the amount of responsibility that i'm not saying that is healthy again Esther Pereira, one of the biggest uh, she mentions that the one of the biggest problems in couples today and relationships is that all that burden of the community is landed on each one of those two people that normally are part of the relationship and and that's an impossible situation that's why you need good friendships uh, create some type of community and maybe get counseling of some sort so you can support and fake in some way the community that we used to have in the past yeah, i mean a child should be brought up with a lot of interactions not just two people and that should be a family but normally what's happening today is that people are moving away from their homes. They're moving away, even if it's in the same country, they don't stay in the village. They go away to the city to find better prospects, to study, to find a partner, whatever they find. So we need to, that's something that society needs to deal with, how to recreate the sense of community, even though the system is not in, in providing that, or at least not incentivizing that that occurs. Mm. Yeah, I think something mentioned, which I probably didn't consider and is really crucial is the responsibility part. I think that is huge and really helps me you know get a new perspective on how i've been thinking about a lot of things so thank you for that i really appreciate it um i also think i don't know if you agree it's also about the difference between a friendship and a relationship or maybe it's not i don't know let me see what you think talking about managing your expectations yeah okay do you you know is it because you know can you have the same level of expectations of a friend as you do of a partner because i think you can in a way 
Oh, man, it, are you gonna drag me into this other book that I read? It, it, this it, it, <laughs> because I really like the idea, and it's very stoic. It's very stoic. Uh, there's this author called Mark Manson. He's written already oh, yeah. now three books now. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, the world is fucked. Uh, something. Uh, what is it called? The other one. Um, Love is not enough. I think the last one. And um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. I think those, yep. those are the three books. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's called "The World Is Fuck: A Book About Hope." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and so, it, one of the core premises that he repeats throughout the three books, in, which I understood, and it's a very stoic principle, is the idea that expectations are not a healthy. element to keep in mind to for you to move forward in life or do things um, i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best to explain it based on how i read the book hopefully it translates well but if you really want to grasp the understanding i really recommend the books to read at least the first two hmm? uh, the second is better than the first one at least for my taking hmm? and and the third one uh, is more just applying what he's done so far and the he he explains that when we approach life with thinking of how things should be because expectations is that you you visualize things and you say ah that, that should be like that you're already setting yourself to a higher a high probability that it might fail so what what else can you do you know what 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 can you do instead of expect this or that i mean and again it is like the expect i put a good example expectation of love you know like what is love what do i expect of love and and then maybe people say i have loads of sex uh, maybe have a gorgeous woman or a gorgeous man uh, uh, have this amazing career and what if those don't happen does that mean that uh, your expectations um, should be still accomplished no matter what? Should you maybe reevaluate those expectations? That's why he says that it's it like for if you love, you should love because it's just good to love. If you trust, you should just trust because you know it's beneficial to trust other people. This expectation is kind of making you define beforehand why you should do what you're doing. When there's some core principles, you just do it because it's good to be human. It's good to have feelings. It's good to have contradictions. It's good to know to be adaptable and that life is changing because it will make us grow and relearn things. We constantly need to relearn. Whatever we taught when we were children is not valid as well afterwards when we grow up. There's many things that we need to remember. So expectation as a, a concept is not a very healthy way to keep in the back of your mind. It's better to just do things because intrinsically they are just good to do. And in that context, if you do that, expectation as well is kind of telling you, I would like this future. 
And, and Terence McKenna has this quote that I, I love. It. It's a big quote, but, but one part it says that society lives constantly in the past or in the future when feelings have a nexus only in the moment, only in the moment. And that goes back to Stoicism is about living the present moment. So if you do something, you do it because it's good and it's beneficial and you give. If you expect something, then you're going to doubt what you do. And then there's a whole ramifications of what comes afterwards because you put these weird expectations. So I would say I would, it, it's good to have healthy expectations. Oh, I would like to maybe perform better in my writing. Uh, that's good, yeah. But expectations as a way to live life and put it on a human being, that's a dangerous slope to go through because you will not live the moment. You will be thinking about what ifs. Yeah. Ah, uh, Juan, I love talking to you, man. You always, you always have so many different because you're so well read and you have like you're interested in so many different subjects i always get so many learnings and different perspectives from you so i wanted to say thank you for that i really appreciate it no and, no thank you and i wanted to say also thank you so much for your time today man i really appreciate it and for coming on the podcast i've been wanting to do this with you for a while because i knew we'd have you know a lot of fun and a great conversation yeah. which it has been yeah. um what i like to do at the end of each episode is ask my guests so to ask you what's What's a little message that you'd like to give people something they can take away when they go home? <laughs> yeah, uh, stay curious, stay super curious. I mean, keep your logical razors sharp. Right? Make sure that you're constantly training that. Seeing all avenues of it. And uh, second, I will say, yeah, promote an environment of trust. Just trust people. It's good makes it for a healthy society. You heard it here, guys. Trust people. It's just good. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. Nice and simple. Juan, thank you so much, man, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening. And as always, guys, hope it helps. Peace.